The gospel lesson for today comes from Matthew, the 25th chapter. For it is if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, another two, and another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and I gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was away this week. At a meeting, returned to find that Derek's scripture ends, encourage one another and build up each other. And mine would end with weeping and gnashing of teeth. The cat's away. I like Derek's ending better. I like encouragement better than threat. I think most people do. When it comes to achieving, we're often at our best when we make a commitment and then receive support and encouragement in our attempt to fulfill our commitment. When we're pushing ourselves to accomplish something big, we need to know that we're not alone, that others are there with us. My amazing wife Sally has been running marathons these last few years, and a big part of her success has been her running buddies, these people who will get up, for each other, before 5 a.m. to go on runs. Then they get home and deal with the children, and they go to their own work. 
They get up because they're accountable to each other. They know the other's going to be out there if it's raining, if it's cold, if they don't feel like it, the other's going to be out there. So they get out there and run too. Last year they went and ran the Chicago Marathon together. At a funeral the day that they left, went to the cemetery, we had the committal service, I walked over to some central friends. One of them said, is she in the sky yet? I thought that was a strange way to refer to changing, trans, moving from this life to the next. So she, I looked puzzled, tried to figure out how I might respond to her. She laughed, said, is Sally on the plane on her way to Chicago? Yeah, is she in the sky? It's nice to have interested and supportive fans. I grew tired of being just an interested fan and a running widower. Wanted to see what Sally's obsession with these long-distance runnings was all about. So with her encouragement and with her help, I began training for a marathon this past summer. This past Saturday in Charlotte, I finished my first marathon of my life. And it may well be that this past Saturday in Charlotte, I finished my last marathon of my life. When people found out that I was training for a marathon, I received all kinds of support. Support like Lawrence McIntosh pointing out that the first person who ran that distance died when he got to the end. <laughs> support like Tom Piadla telling people that he was already eyeing the office for when I didn't survive. He'd like to move on in. And feel the love. Others responded by saying, wow, that's great. And how far exactly is a marathon? And I'd give the standard answer, 26.2 miles. Some of them didn't seem all that impressed. They'd say things like, well, I've done a 10K. So I started to think I should respond by saying, how long's the marathon? 42.2K. But even that's not the half of it. Sally had me up before 5 on Mondays doing so-called easy runs. And on Tuesdays, one week we'd do Yasso 800s, whatever those are, and the next week we'd be on the track doing speed work, tempo runs on Thursdays, long runs on Saturdays. I kept track. A marathon isn't 26.2 miles. It's not 42.2 kilometers. It's 466 miles before you even get to the start of the race. Getting ready for a marathon is, is something where you get a little bit better along and along. You keep working at it. You've got people around you who will say to you things like, you can do it. Come on, let's run. It's all right. Some days are like that. The pain is temporary. The Facebook post is forever. That was on one of the signs that we passed when we were running the marathon. There were other clever ones, such as run like Muller's chasing you. I wish I could describe how joyful I felt that first half of the marathon. People cheering on both sides of the roads, runners encouraging each other. This guy who may at 8 in the morning still have been finishing up his night before, yelling out, you people inspire me. I couldn't stop smiling that first half of the marathon didn't smile as much the second half of the marathon. Charlotte has more hills than Florence, and they add up. 
About mile 22, a guy who was pacing a crowd to the time that I was hoping to achieve ran up beside me and I started listening to him. He kept talking to his group, calling them by name, saying things like, push through this hill, it's not that much further. Stay with me, you can do it. At mile 24, I introduced myself. (laughs) He added me to his group. Mile 25 was this long, gradual hill. Eric said, Will, you can do this. This is why you've trained. There are two more steeper sections. Then you crest. Then there's a right turn to the finish line. I'll be right there. He looked me dead in the eye. He said, you've got this. And I did it. And it confirmed to me what I've been thinking throughout all of this training since July 2nd. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is like running a marathon. You don't just go out one day and achieve that goal. You begin by establishing the goal and with that goal in mind to follow Jesus by loving God and loving neighbor to the fullest of my ability. You start learning how Jesus loved. You start considering who Jesus loved. You find out you have to tolerate some people before you can even begin to imagine what loving them means, but you don't just stop at tolerating them, that you you give what you can to learn to love them. There are days when you start out early and you start out with every good intention and you don't even get a mile into your day with what you wanted to do, what you meant to do and you didn't do it, how you wanted to be and you weren't that. You need somebody to come alongside you and say, some days are like that. We'll go out again tomorrow. We'll do better. How great if we took Paul's words to encourage one another to heart. What if we learn from people who stand on the side of the road in 30 degree temperatures and cheer for perfect strangers? What if we're more like Eric and looked one another in the eye said, you've got this. You can follow Jesus. What if we deliberately and carefully and and wisely and disciplinedly trained for discipleship? How many fewer men would harass or assault women if they committed to not doing so? And they told a brother, I don't want to be that way. And the brother said, good, we'll work to you achieving your goal. Be a lot less weeping. Be a lot less gnashing of teeth if people would consider what their master would have them do and then commit to doing it. That's a big part of discipleship, committing to doing what's right by Jesus. I think that's what this parable is about. A talent was a measure of money. They, they estimate that something like 15 years accumulated wages for a day laborer. So it's a lot of money. All three slaves in Jesus' parable were entrusted with a great amount by their master. Two knew what the master wanted them to do. They would take the portion of his fortune that had been entrusted to them and go and, and risk it to grow it for his sake. Put it out there. They would be intentional. They would do something. Make a bold commitment 
that would benefit the master, and then they would do whatever it is that it took to, to live into that bold commitment for their master. It's a parable, so we don't get these kind of details. But, but if it were historical, don't you think there'd be some conversation between these slaves when they got that money? Hey, buddy, I see that the master gave you like a huge amount of money. What are you going to do with it? I don't know. He gave me, uh, gave you a lot too. What, what do you think he'd, he'd have us do? Well, he has enough that even if we lose some, he'll be all right. And he didn't get all of that by doing nothing. He risked some to make more. I think that's what he'd have us do. All right, but I'm risk averse. I'm going to need some help in this. Yeah, me too. We'll help each other. Hey, what about you over there? You've got a talent to use too. Are you going to do something bold with it for the master? No, I'm sure that the best thing I can do with this large amount of money is dig a hole in the ground and put the money in it and leave it there until the master asks for it back and then I'll give it back, the same amount to him. But if that's what he wanted, wouldn't he have just kept it for himself? What have you contributed in doing that? Wait, where are you going? You have heard of the gnashing of teeth, right? The commitment to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is too important to play it safe. To say you believe and then bury that belief. To say you believe and then bury in the ground your commitment to follow. And following well is too difficult to accomplish alone. It requires more boldness than we can muster by ourselves. We need fellow disciples to challenge us. We need fellow disciples to train us. We need disciples to hear our commitment and hold us accountable. We need disciples to encourage us. We need disciples to cheer for us. We need disciples to be bold with us. We need disciples who will look us in the eye and say, you've got this. And then believe it about us even more than we believe it about ourselves. And God knows. We need disciples who won't bury their commitment out of fear or out of lethargy or out of divided loyalties, but who will be faithful enough to know what's right and then bold enough to do what's right for the sake of Jesus Christ. Even when it's difficult. Disciples who will multiply their commitment. And in doing so, enter into the joy of their master. God has entrusted you with a whole lot. And I believe you've got this. Thanks be to God.